Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the government and the country are not the same thing. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we're building an audio library of podcasts on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today, I want to talk to you about why government is not the same thing in the country as the country. And with me today in the studio is our Director of Development and Events, Addie Crimmins, who will probably chime in with some thoughts as well. So let's talk today about the government is not the country. They're not the same thing. Now, it may be that when you first hear that, you say, well, duh. I mean, obviously that's true. But I think that as we sort of talk about some of these examples, you'll, under, you'll come to understand why the having very clear in your mind that the government and the country are not the same thing is very important. And in fact, what's best for the government and what's best for the country are very often not the same thing. As Ronald Reagan put it in his first inaugural address, we are a country with a government, but the government and the country are not the same thing. The fact of the matter is, is that government is its own interest group. Government, the people who work for government, the people who work alongside government, the businesses who provide services to government, what is sometimes called the government class, has its own interests that it looks out for. And very often, the interests of the government and the government class are not the same as what's in the best interest of the country. But very often, when government is trying to solve its own problems or seek its own best interests, it presents those to the country in the guise of trying to help the country. But I have to say that after many years of paying attention to government policy, it seems that most of the time government is seeking to solve its own problems, not your problems. And very often, government tries to solve its problems at your expenses. Now, I want to talk about sort of three examples where this comes into very sharp relief. The first example is something that happened during the Obama administration. Now, during the Obama administration, the federal debt shot up dramatically. And part of that was because of the economic stimulus plan that was done at the beginning of the Obama administration that was an attempt to recover from the financial collapse of 2008. And some of it was just the Obama administration wanting to spend a lot of money on green energy subsidies and things like that. At some point, and this was, I think, late in President Obama's first term, the Treasury Department announced this very exciting thing called My IRA, or MIRA. And the idea was that Americans are not saving enough money for retirement, and so we have come up with this wonderful solution. We're creating a new kind of an IRA that will help Americans save for their retirement. Now, folks like me who saw this announcement were kind of puzzled because it's like, you know, we already have IRAs. We already have 401ks. We already have 403bs. We already have KEO plans. We already have SEP IRAs. We already have all kinds of devices in the tax code that help people save for retirement. So 
why do we need another one of these devices? Well, it suddenly became obvious what was going on, because when you got into the small print, when you got into the details of the My IRA, the only thing you could invest in with your My IRA was federal treasury notes. In other words, the only thing you could put in your My IRA was federal debt. And this is an example of the government coming along and saying, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. But what they're really trying to do is solve their own problem. So with the Myra, what what the Obama administration was trying to do was solve the federal government's debt problem. They They knew that the debt was spiraling. They knew it was exploding. They knew at some point it was going to become a problem. And so they came up with this very clever idea. Hey, let's come up with a new retirement plan and we'll force the American people or we will encourage the American people to do weekly or bi-weekly payroll deductions to buy the debt of the federal government. So we'll tell them we're trying to help them save for retirement, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them to buy federal debt. So that's an example of the federal government trying to solve its own problem in the guise of trying to tell the American people that they're trying to help the American people's problem. But there's an even better example than the My IRA, and that is every time the federal government says, we have a proposal to solve Social Security's problems. Now, what is Social Security's problem? Social Security's problem is that the system is going bankrupt, that people are living longer than they used to because of advances in health care and demographic changes and things like that. The whole Social Security system was based on the fact that the average lifespan back in the 1940s was about 62 years of age, whereas today the average lifespan is between 78 and 82. And so the Social Security system is going broke. It's paying out more than it takes in. And depending on whether the economy is in recession or whether it's growing, the date changes. But the fact is that sometime within the next decade, the Social Security system is going to technically go bankrupt. It's going to have more money going out than it has coming in. So what does the federal government continually suggest as a solution to this problem? Well, they suggest things like raising the retirement age. They suggest things like means-testing benefits. So if you have a certain amount of assets, if your net worth is above a certain level, then you wouldn't get your Social Security, even though you've paid in your whole life. They suggest things like changing the inflation formula so that benefits don't increase as much as possible. Now, I look at this and I say, so your solution to the Social Security problem is to make it a worse deal for people who have spent their entire lives paying into it. Your solution to the Social Security crisis is to make me continue to pay in, but to guarantee me less and to pay me less. You're not fixing the Social Security system for my benefit. You're not fixing the Social Security system for the benefit of the taxpayers who were legally required to pay into it their entire lives. You're fixing it for the government's purpose. It's the government who has a problem. The government has made promises that the government cannot keep. And the government has a problem. And their solution is not to make Social Security better 
for the taxpayers who have paid into it. Their solution is to make it a worse deal for the people who have paid into it. So Social Security is perhaps the most glaring example of what we're talking about here today, this idea that government is its own interest. It seeks to solve its own problems, not your problems. And very often, government seeks to solve its problems at your expense. Now, as an aside, we at IPI, for at least the last 15 years, have been promoting personal retirement accounts as a way to solve the Social Security problem. Our approach has been, let's make Social Security better. Let's make it a better deal for people who pay into it, not a worse deal. We can solve government's Social Security problem and also give retirees a better deal, a better rate of return, and more of their own money through personal retirement accounts. But the government, for some strange reason, shows very little interest in solving Social Security's problem for the people who pay into it. Its only interest seems to be, how do we solve the government's Social Security problem? So again, Social Security is a great example of the fact that government looks after its own interests rather than the interests of the people. And there's another example, I think, that is also related to this, and that is this idea of government-funded lobbying. You do know, don't you, that cities and counties in your state take taxpayer dollars and use them to engage lobbyists to lobby on their behalf in your state capital. Now, we're based in Texas, and in Texas, this has become a really big issue. And it's one of the issues before the state legislature this year is putting a ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying. But this goes on in every state. Your cities, your counties, they engage lobbyists to go to the state capitol and to present to represent the interests not of the taxpayers, but of the cities and the counties themselves. Now, if you don't think, if you don't agree with my contention, that governments are in and of themselves a special interest, then explain to me why governments engage lobbyists to lobby other levels of government. We think about businesses encouraging lobbyists. We think about uh, wealthy individuals and businesses engaging lobbyists to go to Washington and to go to the state capitol to try to get them favors. Well, your cities and your counties do exactly the same thing. Your cities and your counties behave exactly like a special interest group who has contracted with one or more lobbyists in order to represent them at the state capitol. So those are just three examples to prove my assertion that government is its own special interest. The government is not the same thing as the country. And very often you will hear politicians use the federal government almost as a proxy for the country, almost as if what is in the government's best interest is in the country's best interest and vice versa. But what I hope you take from this today is that that is not the case. Tom, I want to ask a question. Um, I think we've, we've seen it laid out, some good examples of your assertion, but as conservatives, I think a lot of the time we're accused of being the party of no and just short of, sort of shooting down ideas. And, you know, I wonder if, I think we're always trying to seek solutions that don't break down on a party line. 
Are there any sort of examples or solutions we can propose that don't involve just saying no or limit, limiting the government? Are there any sort of mitigating factors that, that maybe someone on the other side of the aisle could, could come to that, that, would, that would help this, this problem instead of just saying, you know, don't do it? Yeah. Well, I, I'm very much sort of aligned with the idea of the party of no. I, <laughs> I know. That's I actually, kind of that, why I asked I think, the question. I, I, I think that's, that, that's not a bad approach to have as your default approach. But yes, of course, conservatives and free market folks, we want government to be efficient, right? And and we know we're not anarchists, right? We think government exists for a reason. Government is necessary. You may consider it to be a necessary evil, but it's necessary. And when attempting to govern with people who who believe very very different ideologies, it, it sometimes is while while pure in a principled sense, it, if we're talking about what's productive, how do we appeal to them? That's exactly right. I mean, you, you, you either have a civil way of working through your differences or you have an uncivil way of working through your differences, right? So we would rather solve our differences through government and through political processes than through rioting and civil wars and things like that. So, and, and I, I think it's also true. I mean, if you're not some sort of a libertarian anarchist, right? I mean, the, the, the vast majority of people believe that government has important functions to do. And not just the defense of the country, but beyond that, providing a safety net for people, providing unemployment insurance and welfare and food assistance and things like that. I think what most of us want is for those things to be done as efficiently as possible and done as professionally and as well as possible. But my concern with today's IPI Policy Basics podcast is not that we fall for the temptation of the idea that somehow government is just an unalloyed good. And anything government seeks to do, it is seeking to do for our benefit. We should always be a little cynical and a little skeptical about anything government seeks to do. Now, should government be as efficient as possible? Yes. Should government be as productive as possible? Yes. Should government be as effective as possible? Well, maybe. (laughs) If it's trying to do something bad, then I don't want it to be effective, right? So for me... And for a lot of us sort of in the limited government movement, uh, you know, our rhetoric has always been you can't necessarily fix government. You can't necessarily improve government. You can't necessarily make government more efficient. So the best you can do is limit government. So it's a necessary thing. It's a critical thing. Government ideally provides those functions that the free market cannot provide or that the government is better at providing. But we need to always remember that government in and of itself is a special interest. It looks after its own interests. It does not necessarily look after the best interests of the people. And that's one of the reasons why we at IPI and all of our friends and brethren in the free market and conservative movement believe in limited government. And this is why Ronald Reagan's joke The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you, is funny, (laughs) okay? If the government was always here to help you, it wouldn't be a funny joke. The reason it's funny is that most of the time when government claims to be here to help us, it's actually looking out to help itself rather than you. So today's Policy Basics podcast is a plea for a healthy degree of cynicism 
when it comes to government. And possibly a plea for preemptive policies. It seems to me that all of the examples you've provided have to do with money. Money makes the world go round. But if we were a little more frugal with our finances in the first place, if we supported some of those preemptive policies that that we at IPI and other conservatives support, we may not be in the situations in the first place to to have to appeal to less government and and let's scale things back. So that back to my let's not let's not be the party of no. Um, We might think about proactively when we want to enact some legislation or think about how it's going to financially impact us. We might we might think about those things as well. Well, that you know what? That's a, a great example of that, actually, is the deal that was arrived at between congressional Republicans and President Barack Obama that resulted in the sequester. Right. I mean, that was government doing something. And it actually, for several years, had the effect of restraining spending increases. Right. Uh, it's 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 a bit of a funny story. We should probably just do a, a separate podcast just on that whole thing, because it's a bit of a funny story, because. The Obama administration put out on the table the idea of uh, restraining the growth of defense spending, thinking Republicans would never go for that. And in fact, Republicans did. They called us bluff. And we actually ended up with the first effective limitation on spending restraint really since World War II. And it really worked really well for several years. So that's right. What I'm my plea here is for skepticism and a little bit of cynicism toward government, recognizing that government very often is looking after its own interests. But that's not to say that government is not a necessary thing, and it's not to say that we don't want government to be proactive and to be efficient and to be effective. And some of this happens with the swings in political fortunes, right? I mean, we're recording this podcast just a couple of days after the inauguration of President Joe Biden. So now the Democratic Party has control of the House and the Senate and the White House. So we will probably find ourselves for the next couple of years pushing back on bad ideas rather than trying to advance good ideas. But it is certainly in the best interest of the country to get the debt under control, to get deficits under control, to get spending limited, to fix our entitlements. But I think it's probably a bit naive for us to assume the government will do that as a result of looking after its own interests that will require pressure from the American people in order to make that happen. Well, thank you for joining us today for this Policy Basics podcast. You can find a lot more about government policy, deficits and debt. You can find a lot more, for instance, about the My IRA piece during the Obama administration. And you can find a ton of information about Social Security personal retirement accounts at our website at IPI.org. I want to thank Addie Crimmins for joining me today. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.